Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I've got the guts of a skeleton. And I am an international incident. Welcome to episode 211, In Your House 9, International Incident. Two hours of hard-hitting, high-flying, heart-stopping, pile-driving, action. It's at least a good tagline. Something like that. Uh huh. You had the heart stopping. We're in Canada. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, it's better than a lot we've seen. Yeah, better than the debut of Hulk. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. Canada, eh? Canada. Hey. So this was the ninth in your house produced by the WWF. It would take place on July 21st, 1996. From the General Motors place in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with an attendance of 14,804 people. How about that? I mean, shit. Dan would be Ron Simmons. He's not here yet. God damn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We got, I guess, Mankind's there, you know. Have a nice day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Best in... Peace. Now Canada's alive and thriving with 14,000 people. Almost 15. Almost. Not bad. Not bad at all. But we are in Canada. Yeah, we are. Shane, did you do what you do? (laughs) Did I ever. So yeah, here we are. We're in Canada. And our show, known as the International Incident, somewhat inspired... But then as I started doing my my little research on Canada and British Columbia and Vancouver in general, I found out a different international incident. So, long story short, for Canada, I've brought sushi. That makes total sense. Yeah. Why sushi, everybody might be asking? A, because, you know, it's it's international. There's, (laughs) There's no country where you can go to and can't find sushi, I'm sure. No nation, I should say. It'd probably be tough in, like, yeah, Afghanistan. They've got rice. They definitely have rice. Roll it up with something inside or on the outside. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I brought sushi. Uh, The reason for it is, as I was looking through what's popular, what was created, what, you know, what do I need to try while in Vancouver, I discovered that British Columbia has their own kind of, uh, almost said seafood, uh, sushi roll, uh, known as the BC roll, which stands for British Columbia. Typically, it includes cucumber, um, some type of salmon, either barbecued or salmon skin, obviously white rice. Sometimes they'll throw in cream cheese or uh, avocado or something just to, da- to, to dress it up. But then as I was looking even further, I found out that Vancouver was one of the first places in North America... Uh, when sushi started becoming a popular thing, one of the places that it was starting up in was Vancouver. And a uh, extremely popular role here in America was actually created in Vancouver. So I brought a, a sushi variety. The role created in Vancouver that is popular in America is the California roll. 
I feel so betrayed. Right? Makes so much sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, mean, I get the on... CA. It depends on which which story you believe. Some places say that it was started in little little Tokyo in L.A. Other places will, or other stories say that it got its start in Vancouver, and that's the one I'm willing that's to believe. That's the one believe. I believe in this week. That's right. Yeah. It is, it, it, I feel the same way I felt, or similar to the way I felt when I found out that Creedence Clearwater Revival was from San Francisco. Yeah. So betrayed. Or when... Uh... <laughs> they should be from... Louisiana. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? Boston was from Chicago. When Chicago uh, that brain-bending <laughs> moment. Just kidding, just kidding. Kentucky Fried Chicken uses Sweet Home Alabama as their commercial theme song. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's an undeniable hit that I never want to hear again. Yeah. But yeah, we uh, the, the story that I found says that a chef named, butcher this, Hidekazu Tojo from Canada claims to have started the version of Sushi in which the rice is on the outside of the roll. He claims also, in addition to cucumber, cook crab, avocado, which can be seen as support for his claim, uh, since those are the current ingredients in a California roll. So there may have been a version of a California roll in California, but it was not done this style with the rice on the outside. Oh. Um, so so it, yeah. could be, it could be linear thinking, and it was like, okay, well, we're doing rice on the outside. Mm-hmm. For us, I went to a place here in... Uh, Oklahoma City called the Sushi Bar. Fortunately, it's difficult to find a BC roll at any sushi restaurant that I looked at in Oklahoma City, so I came up, or I shouldn't say I came up, I found a close substitute uh, since they talked about the love of barbecued salmon and salmon skin and that kind of stuff. I went for what the Sushi Bar offered called the Salmonator. It... It was interesting. Yeah, it was. I, mean, I really like the, the textures, the taste, the smokiness. It is uh, crispy, crispy salmon skin, avocado, cream cheese, bonito flakes, topped with crab stick, smoked salmon, bacon bits, lemon zest, scallions, masago, sweet sauce, and a spicy mayo and sriracha. Whole kitchen sink. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It very, like, it feels, it doesn't taste like sushi. It no. tastes like an appetizer yes but it doesn't even taste like a japanese appetizer yes, because this, it's like so savory this has a, a very american oaky appeal to it with yeah. the bacon the saltiness the really smokiness, wild. the baconness but yeah i i really dug it the Ooh. textures in it were were awesome uh, I agree. I, also, I agree with that. Yeah, um, totally. I, totally. I, I yeah. did not hate it by any means it, it's just a very interesting like combination of Flavors and textures that, yeah, it almost, almost kind of bites back at you. In a way. Yeah, great, uh, like appetizer, but doesn't feel, doesn't even taste like it sushi. Yeah, it, this would yeah. be one of those like, it's like the loaded nachos of sushi. <laughs> right? I typically, when I go out for sushi, I'll ask for a chef's creation just because I want to see what you what you what, what, they what got? the chef can actually do outside of the menu, and this tastes like something that I would get in return that wouldn't normally be found on the menu. Yeah. I also got obviously a California roll cuz I had to I had to have a, a Cali roll to represent Canada. But then they also had a a Baja California roll. Had french which fries was the kind of the same I'm kidding. Same ingredients of crab, cucumber, avocado, both were topped with uh, masago, but then the Baja roll also has a spicy mayo and a uh, Wasabi mayo on top of it. Yeah. It was probably my favorite of 
the three because I like a California roll. It's fine, but that one was just dressed up a little bit more. And I'm wondering now, just because of all the textures that are in this little salmon You're gonna thing, get a crunch. I'm very curious. So yeah, let's uh, let's see if we can make sushi crunch on a microphone. Hello. Oh yeah, that's disgusting. <laughs> Truly filthy. Yeah. It's, the, it's uh, been a while since we've had the old ASMR. It made the little lines on the screen, so uh, well, yeah. yeah, it picked up. I mean, I heard it over here. The uh, it is delicious. Yeah, I like this the skin, uh, salmon skin thing, but the bacon I think might have just put it over the edge. Ah, uh, unagi, <laughs> salmon skin roll. Well, something that would happen right around the same time as this show. The 1996 Summer Olympics would begin in Atlanta the same weekend, where we would see Muhammad Ali light the flame during the opening ceremonies, carry Strug vault into history on an injured ankle to win the first women's team gymnastics gold medal in U.S. history, but was marred by a pipe bomb going off in the Olympic Park. Yeesh. Uh, I remember the opening ceremony. I remember watching it because of the Muhammad Ali thing. It yes. seemed like he'd been yeah. gone for a long time, and he comes out, and did he have Parkinson's? I believe so. It was, uh, yeah, he was, he was shaky. And uh, it was a, a, big, a, a big enough deal that uh, I feel like, I mean, it's the Olympics anyway, but it was Muhammad Ali, this guy that's been gone for a long time, and uh, not only is a... Uh, important to boxing and American sports, but he is also important to wrestling. Be it the Inoki match or the fact that he was a fan of Gorgeous George and pulled from wrestling. Like, he he was an incredible fucking heel and talker. Better, Maybe the best promo in the game. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's fun to see that from the outside. What what year was it that the guy with the gold shoes? Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson. I almost I said Michael Richards. Believe that's not, actually, and that's not the same guy. I believe he was this year as well. Okay, yeah, because that was another big memory of mine from this time period. The Carrie Strug thing is a little less memorable yeah, to me Carrie personally. Strug. Yes, Michael Johnson won both the 200 and 400 meter event at this Olympics. And as a kid who didn't know really anything about uh, running or even sports in g- general, uh, the fact that he wore gold shoes and only wore them once, I found fascinating. Yep. <laughs> I was like, oh, he only wears them once? And it's like, well, yeah, duh. Like, <laughs> this is, uh, you know, uh, huge. Yeah, so I remember watching deal. the uh, opening ceremonies for this one. I think this was the first time I had watched, or at least the first time I can remember watching the opening ceremonies. Same I remember me. watching some of the Olympics as a kid because I remember watching Mary Lou Retton do her flip through the air or whatever back in the 80s. But yeah, Carrie Strug. God, I hated that girl. <laughs> was she like the Tanya great. Harding? She's a, a great... Well, no, she was just annoying as shit. Oh, okay. So she wasn't like... She had like this mouse voice. That it was, was, okay. It wasn't like a class thing with like Tanya Harding. Oh, I know, I know, I know who you're talking about now. And she was the one that, yeah, she got carried off by her trainer or whatever after she stuck the landing and... Yeah, she had injured her foot doing, I can't remember exactly what, and but she was like, I'm toughing it out for the team, 
And she went and ran and stuck the landing and... Burst into tears and her coach came down, her trainer came down and swept her off her feet and carried her off. And then it was a, yeah, a pre-social media oh, yeah. explosion. I, I definitely... And it was on every show or, you know, Saturday Night Live spoofed her. They had Chris yeah. Kattan be... Chris, uh, that's right, Chris, Chris Kattan. Kattan is the per... They look... Like the same person, yeah. they look so. And similar. he had to, you know, mimic her voice, and they have yeah. the same fucking face. <laughs> That's crazy. But yeah, Carrie Strug, God, what a she's got. She's got a uh... like. I hated Nancy Kerrigan for different reasons, just because she got annoying for different reasons. But yeah. then Carrie Strug came along, and it was she. She just took it all. What a. Um striking looking person and I don't necessarily mean that in <laughs> the most uh, positive way I'm not going to say call this buff child ugly but it is a unforgettable face <laughs> that's for sure Carrie if you're listening yeah, congrats okay, much, much love to you thanks for tuning in <laughs> and of course if you ever wanted to know any more about the uh, pipe bomb incident uh, Clint Eastwood decided to make a movie about the security guard who found it. I've been meaning Richard to. Jewell. I've been meaning to watch Richard Jewell for a long time. I've heard that it was uh, good. Yeah. Um, and I don't know anything about the pipe bomb part of this story. I never watched the movie. I remember Kathy Bates was in it. She plays his mom, I think. Wasn't Pat Oswald or something like that that played um, him? No, uh, no, or... it was it was the guy who he did. I think Richard Jewell came out first, maybe or right after. But he did. This movie, and then he was also one of the goons in the I, Tonya movie. It was Paul Walter Hauser. Okay. Who played Jewel. Okay. And then he was, he's, in the, he's one of the goons in the I, Tonya, right? I believe so, yeah. Well, I'm thinking yeah, I'm of a different sure movie about the pipe bombing then. Oh. Because the Paul whatever just won like a Golden Globe for... Blackbird. That's what he won a... Okay. He played a serial killer. How am I thinking Pat I've never even heard of Black Blackbird. Uh, Ratatouille. You're thinking of Ratatouille, yeah. Shane. Easy mix-up there. <laughs> Blackbird was an Apple TV uh, miniseries. That's why nobody saw thing. it. Yeah. But it's developed by Dennis Lehane, so it might be actually pretty good. I don't know who Dennis Lehane is. Uh, Dennis Lehane wrote uh, Mystic River, Shutter Island, Gone Baby Gone. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a screenwriter of note. Yes. All three of those movies made a splash. Love them or hate even them. If, even if I dislike Shutter Island, as previously mentioned yeah. last it week. Was, it was crazy. I haven't seen any of those movies. Uh, Mystic River and Gone Baby Gone, I yeah. enjoy. I've yes. meant to watch Gone Baby Gone for a long time because I've Both of those are only heard fantastic. good... I've heard either... I've heard good things and then people that are just... They didn't dislike the movie. They were legitimately affected by it. Yeah. And Paul Walter Hauser has shown up on AEW in the last... Oh, really? Month and a half, I think. Uh, Jarrett and Lethal stole his Golden Globe on yep. one of the episodes, and have been using it as a as an FO. So, uh, so yeah, maybe Lahane is in Tony Khan's ear. Tying it all yeah. together, to yeah. Guys. yeah. Maybe Lahane is uh, is is writing some storylines. Cobra Kai. But yeah. Interesting. It's ninety six Olympics. Uh, big deal. Uh, Dream Team is ninety two. Ninety two is the first. Yeah. yeah, but ninety six. I think they still had a decent team. They, yeah, they they still, still, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we are always going to have the best basketball team. Dream actually ninety six was Dream Team three because uh, okay. two played at the FIBA World Championships, 
But it basically still had Barkley, Malone, Pippen, Stockton, and David Robinson. It just didn't have Jordan, Jordan basically. Fun stuff. 96. Something else was happening around this time, too, though, wasn't it? Well, it's happening probably when this episode releases. Ah! Ladies and gentlemen, I would just like to say... Happy birthday, Matt! Hey! <laughs> how many, how many are you? I'll be too many. Too many? <laughs> I have a close family friend uh, who, when she turned 40, uh, she just started going backwards. That was her thing. She's like, oh, no. Going backwards. I saw her recently for the first... She binge with a button, did it? Yeah, for a while. I saw her for the first time in a while, and she had been so long since that because, you know, that was when she was like... 40 and she's more like uh, you know in her 60s now she had totally forgot about the backwards thing it was uh, very funny and now she doesn't dye her hair she's like oh, I like my gray hair I'm like you look, it looks good on you so Matt's turning 40 huh I'm over 40 and uh-huh. 50 <laughs> well, yeah we love you no matter yes. your age age redacted well, let's get to the show where we see the WWF logo for over 50 years followed by footage from the free for all that would happen before the show, where we see Jose Lothario confront Jim Cornette, almost coming to blows before Vader arrives. The Masked Don looks to attack Jose, but Shawn Michaels then appears to prevent that from happening, sliding into the ring and knocking over the podium that was set up. And we get the International Incident logo, which really felt like a, like a news expose logo type thing. Yeah, yeah. Beep, 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 beep. And then Vince McMahon welcomes us to the show, along with Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross. And JR tells us that Corny offered a money-back guarantee that his team would win tonight. Now that's what I call a guarantee. Foreshadowing? Might just be. But we head straight to our first match. The Smoking Guns of Bart and Billy Gunn with Sonny. Versus the body Donnas of Skip and Zip. Aww. Where's Cloudy? Never seen again. (laughs) And as the guns enter, Vince speaks with the body Donnas in the back. And he notices that Cloudy isn't with them. And the Donnas say that Cloudy helped them realize that they don't need a manager. She must have been really bad at her job. (laughs) They say they just need the fans. And I'm like, guys... I love you. I think you're incredible workers. You need and more than you get fans. it, but you don't even have yeah. the fans. Like, you need which fans. Is a, which is a, sure. which is a problem and I think you're deserving of fans. But maybe this isn't <laughs> the right gimmick. Skip also says that she was all about the mind games and they can play those without her. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure they can. And McMahon says this is a non title match, as Sonny did not want to put the titles on the line. So I guess Suddenly, just can be like, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, to. she's a um, too too hot to be a heel. It's just kind of an issue. <laughs> you can't. They just impo- and yeah, too too hard to hate, and uh, so is the crowd for her. Yeah. Did anyone notice who the ref was for this match? I did. Who was it? One, Mr. Harvey Whippleman. That is right. And we haven't seen him since SummerSlam '95. Episode 163. Mm-hmm. Wibble Men, whose uh, bastard son is a whip wreck. Not true. Also, it's pretty easy to quote-unquote hate Sonny now. 
Yes. <laughs> Very much so. Uh-huh. So the match gets going as the Donnas attack Billy when he's not paying attention with a double back body drop, punches, and everyone is down. The Donnas attack Billy when he's not paying attention with a double back body drop, punches everyone down to send the guns out to regroup. Bart gets in to match up with Zip, chopping away, and he goes for a back body drop, only for Zip to leapfrog and do some chops of his own that are no-sold. Vince McMahon lets us know that Jake will not be on the show because of multiple rib injuries. Quote, unquote. But Lawler starts going in on him about drinking way too much. I mean, yeah. And you know, wow. you know Vince McMahon is probably getting, you know, he's, uh, his, uh, yeah, the water in his head is coming to a simmer. Yeah, the, uh, what was it Lawler said? Jake experienced the wrath of grapes or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, my beautiful. God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jerry Lawler, undeniable. The body donors control the match early on with takeovers, holds, and frequent tags until Billy hits a famouser on Skip when he telegraphs a back body drop. Billy then charges into the corner, only for Skip to move to regain control of the match, when Sonny pretends to faint, causing Skip to want to go check on her. But she slaps him once he makes it over there. That's Jezebel. Mind games. Harlot. And the distraction also allows the guns to hit double-team clotheslines on Skip before Billy faceplants him across the apron. Back in the ring, the guns whip Skip from corner to corner before a reversal allows Skip to head up top, where he comes off only for Bart to catch him with the power slam. Now Bart sets up Skip across the ropes, bringing Billy in to leapfrog over him for a guillotine body press. But Billy just doesn't have the hops today, and the crowd lets him know about it. (laughs) Bart and Billy argue for a moment, but continue to work over Skip in their corner using several ref distractions, until the body Donna is able to fight his way out by floating over a back body drop and rolling up Bart for a two count, followed by a second rope crossbody only for the gun to retaliate with a clothesline. Billy then flies off the top rope with an axe handle, but Skip counters it into an atomic drop, allowing him to make the crawl to the corner for the hot tag. Zip cleans house with right hands, tosses Billy to the floor, but he's then tripped up running the ropes. Sonny's arguing with Skip from the floor, so Billy goes to rein her in, while Bart sets up Zip for the sidewinder, but his partner is nowhere to be found. Uh-oh. Skip then leaps in off the top with a missile dropkick, allowing Zip to make the cover for the pin and, and the, the win. win. I smell trouble in paradise. It's so crazy that this is a like perfect tag match, and it's just done so very well, but you can't force people to care about guys that you haven't made a thing. Mm-hmm. And no matter the talent, which is a bummer because this is a classic looking tag match. They do everything right. The hot tag is a real hot tag. And uh, it stinks that they didn't really put the time into either team. Unfortunately, this match was just boring because you no. didn't care about any of the no. people in the ring. Yeah, yeah. and it's a, it's a shame because technically it's fucking basically flawless. Yeah. And the only thing anybody cares about is Sonny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
We go to the back, and Mr. Perfect is there with Camp Cornette. And Jim says they are angry about what happened on the free-for-all, with Vader throwing trash cans before they show that clip again from the beginning of the show. Corny says that Jose pulled a switchblade on him and stated that Sean won't have 14 of his friends to help him tonight. Cornette restates his money-back guarantee, begging his team to win because he doesn't want to be out seven million dollars he said seven to ten million bucks and i'm like i mean i know it's a large house but that's a that's a lot all of canada's watching all of canada's watching all of canada's watching (laughs) bulldog thinks this match is no place for a lady so diana will remain in the locker room while vader just makes weird faces behind them Mm, i guess it's better than diana making weird faces behind him hey i'm I'm pro diana Owen then promises to knock out Sid with his cast, just like he did to Ahmed. Followed by Corny saying, Vader is crazier than Sid. And that's pretty damn crazy. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy. I don't know that Vader ever stabbed anybody, but he definitely seemed like he was also a few fries short of a happy meal. Vader missed no fries. <laughs> Vader, Vader definitely, <laughs> yeah, he was carved up. So we go to our second match. Mankind versus Henry O. Godwin with Hillbilly Jim. And this is the match that Jake Roberts was supposed to be in versus Mankind, but as mentioned, his real life demons had reared their head. Mm-hmm. So this is what we got instead. The, uh, yeah, it is because it's like Mankind has just gotten himself over in the biggest of ways and he can't even get a like true quality mid carter because jake's not there and the roster's kind of thin at the moment so it's henry o'godwin and i'm like what a disservice and then i find out why and it's pretty uh you know pretty obvious but mankind's still obviously 110 percent in it with his missing hair <laughs> i mean these guys have faced each other a few times over the years yeah from cactus jack versus Tex Salinger back in the day. So yeah, they worked well together. What is Henry O'Godwin if he's not the comedy Tex Salinger? So Foley jumps Hog from behind as he's doing a Hog call, punching and biting him until Godwin can respond with a power slam and a clothesline that sends Bankind out to the floor. Back in the ring, Foley goes back on the offensive, but Hog catches him with a spine buster to slow the momentum. Mankind then leaps on the back of Godwin, but gets knocked off by Hogg, ramming him into a corner, only for Foley to counter it into a running bulldog and an elbow drop. And Mankind starts pulling out his hair. I love that Jerry Lawler still has to put in the digs. Unlike Clinton, Jake has always inhaled. Vince McMahon upset and says, we don't need to go there, but if only Jake's demons were marijuana. Mankind continues by hitting a turnbuckle smash and a running knee to the head of Godwin, followed by a guillotine leg drop across the bottom rope. Foley then pulls up the mats around ringside, tossing Hog to the floor where Mankind delivers a swinging neckbreaker. And this is what this match needs, is a little bit more intensity and violence from Mankind that we haven't quite seen here in the WWF. Yes. This is a, you know, this is WCW, ECW, Mick Foley move. He has not quite gotten the, you know, he's unhinged, but 
this is a little bit further brutality-wise than we've seen from him yet. Back in the ring, Godwin fires up with right hands, but a reversed whip allows Foley to hit a clothesline into a corner. And Mankind charges again, only for Hogg to move in time, causing Foley to hit his head on the ring post. Posted. Godwin capitalizes with a lariat, and he goes to pick up Mankind, who just yanks Hogg through the ropes to the floor. And Foley falls out, but Godwin hits a shot to the gut and a press slam onto the exposed concrete. Oh my, I mean, uh, what a maneuver. <laughs> they head back into the ring where Hogg goes for the slop drop, only for Mankind to hold onto the ropes to block, followed by locking on the mandible claw for the submission and, and the win. win. Post-match, Foley looks confused before just sprinting his way to the back. <laughs> yeah. It's not great, but also the last match was perfect. Pretty damn good. And no one, I feel like nobody really cares about either of these things yet. But that's okay, because, you know, we've seen a, a lot worse. Also love, I noticed this, I think I noticed it on the last show we watched with Mankind. His entrance song and exit song are different. Two different it's like an opening and ending credits. And the like second song has... His exit song after a win has uh, some Twin Peaks vibes. Yes. Which I uh, obviously noticed as I'm a fan of David Lynch. So Vince sends us to the Superstar line, where we see Brian Pillman with the Body Donnas on one side, while Ray Rougeau is with the Guns and Sonny. And the Loose Cannon claims the Donnas are spouting sanctimonious garbage and wants them to admit their real motivations are hormones and TNA. Yeah, it's weird that Pillman and the Body Donnas is like the wildest. It's like this unhinged guy and then these guys that are like, I don't know if they were supposed to be heels in the last match. They weren't. But like, who's the baby face and yeah, I mean, heel? They, they said clearly they didn't need a manager. They just needed the fans. Yeah, and they don't have them. <laughs> I, hate, I hate that they don't have them, but they don't have them. Pillman continues by saying the body donners are complaining about the double teaming, but jokes that they want to double team Sonny. I mean, who, who knows uh, what old Chris Canido and Sonny did behind closed doors? And maybe in front of those doors too. Yeah, I'm gonna guess that there was a you know at least a double team or two happening at some point. Maybe with or without Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Chris. But we go to our third match. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Wild Man Mark Marrow with Sable. And so the story behind this match was that Marrow was mad that he had lost at King of the Ring. While Stone Cold was looking for payback for his busted lip. But that wasn't the only trouble that Wild Man had gotten into lately. As Marlena was beginning to show interest in Sable. Which would make her very uncomfortable. Has Sable ever been comfortable in her life? She might be comfortable on her Brock farm, but she was never comfortable in wrestling. She just wanted the money. On her Brock farm. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so the two men trade strikes, takedowns, holds, and pin attempts until Austin rolls to the floor to regroup once Barrow gets the advantage. And we get split screen to see Marlena and the Usher on the AOL chat while the wild man comes off the apron with a double axe handle to the floor. Back in the ring, Marrow hits a rolling prawn hold for a two count. The same move that busted Stone Cold's mouth the last time they met. 
Callback. And Austin's holding his mouth like it, like it got hurt again. But it's a ruse, luring the wild man in to poke his eyes and clothesline Marrow out to the floor. Stone Cold then follows out to catapult the wild man into a ring post before knocking him off the apron into the guardrail. Marrow finally makes his way back into the ring, only for Austin to nail a second rope knee drop for a near fall, a back elbow, and starts to wear down the wild man with a chin lock. I love when um, Stone Cold heads to the floor, because there's cheers, but it's like a mix of cheers and booze. It's like everybody's already <coughs> well aware that this guy is cool and is a badass, but he's still like working completely as a heel. Yeah, it's just, it's just it's nice to see one of the biggest stars of uh, modern times, you know, move through his career. Stone Cold goes for a guillotine body press, only for Marrow to move when Austin would land with his knees on the ropes. So he goes right back to the attack, only for the wild man to pick up Stone Cold and crotch him on the ropes. The two men fight over turnbuckle smashes before Austin goes for a power bomb only for the momentum to take them back towards the ropes to get entangled momentarily. But Merrill is finally able to head-scissors them both out to the floor. Marlena and the Usher have now arrived at ringside while this was happening, and they hand a letter to Lawler before just sticking around to watch the rest of the match. And the wild man leaps off the apron with a somersault senton onto Stone Cold, followed by an apron moonsault as well. Now back in the ring, Marrow keeps up the attack with a slingshot splash and mounted punches before attempting a super Frankensteiner, only for Austin to shove him onto the ropes to crotch himself. Stone Cold then tries for a stunner, but the wild man blocks by holding onto the ropes, allowing Marrow to deliver a slingshot leg drop for a two count. Now Austin retaliates with a clip to the knee before capitalizing with a stunner for the pin. And the win. Post-match, Marlena has seen enough, so she leaves, with McMahon wondering if she was a distraction. Even though I don't know if Marrow ever looked at her during the match. No, I don't know. I mean, he was... Mark Marrow was, like, extremely present. This match is great. Like, there are so many things we didn't talk about as far as just like character work and the smart intelligent and clean work of this match the things that are teased and the things that get paid off just inside the you know six eight minutes that are here yeah yeah everybody i always you know back up mark marrow so like i won't do it now i guess but you all know where i stand so sable helps the ref walk the wild man to the back while Vince sees Bob Backlund campaigning in the crowd. Which, we're in Canada, so I don't really know how helpful that's going to be. Well, I mean, Canada... He's running for prime minister. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, Canada was a big part of the WWF even back in the day when Backlund was on top post-San Martino. And, I mean, Backlund is the Benjamin Button, isn't he? Does he ever get older? He just, like, really ages very well. We then get a commercial for Monday Night Raw, where the Heartbreak Kid and Ahmed Johnson will face the Smoking Guns for the tag titles. Who's, gonna, who's taking the pin there? 
Bart, probably. Yeah, but then... <laughs> then yeah. Disqualification. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. Probably DQ, because are they going to put the the tag belts on Sean and Ahmed? It feels, feels like a weird uh, mm. weird choice. The body Donnas are going to get involved. Why and not? fun fact of the night, hmm. this is the only pay-per-view that Stone Cold would ever have a logo on his trunks. I know, I noticed that. The trunks uh, were cool and interesting, and... I was like, oh, like they're not just black trunks. And what was the logo exactly? I'm trying to remember. It's his name. It's just, just his name, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it just said Stone Cold, right? Can't remember if it said Stone Cold or if it said Steve Austin, but. I think it said Stone Cold. I think it said Stone Cold, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Sorry, like, correctly. I think he black had some, trunks with like, yeah. a silver yeah. spot on them. I think he had, I mean, you know, the in WCW, I think he had some, some trunks. Oh, yeah. With stuff on them. Yeah. You the little SA. I love that old tag team stuff where it's like, oh, we have the same trunks, but we each have our own initials on them. Yeah. Classy look. So we go to our fourth match. Gold Dust with Marlena and the Usher versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer. And we get footage from In Your House, Beware of Dog, where man- mankind would emerge from the casket to attack the dead man. And... Because that's the last time Gold Dust and Undertaker faced off against each other. And we see the Golden One is reluctant to enter the ring. But once he does, Gold Dust continues to use the ref as a shield. And the Golden One's finally ready. And he takes one shot before rolling to the floor to regroup. And Gold Dust drags Taker out of the ring, and the two men trade strikes when the Undertaker would choke slam the Golden One onto the steel steps. The dead man would continue by slamming Goldust's head onto those steps before picking up the steel to throw them at the Golden One. Oh my gosh. Uh, I love that JR can't help but put over both Texas boys. Yes. So hard. And Vince McMahon like, just keeps piping in that The Undertaker is the most phenomenal guy ever. Also, is this the first time, might be the only time we saw Stone Cold with... Uh, not purely black, black trunks, but is this the first sleeveless taker we've seen? Or am I crazy? Mm, no, because when he started, he didn't really have I sleeves. Like yeah, I guess sleeves you're right. Started, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, he just had sleeves for a while. Getting some ink. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure. Ink. Yeah, and I'm sure <laughs> McMahon like, just had to be like, okay, well, I like this guy enough to yeah. let him show his tattoos. He's a businessman. He's supposed to be gotta dead. cover those up. Dead men don't have tattoos. It's like, well, that's not really how that works. As the Undertaker goes to throw the steel steps, Marlena jumps in front to protect Goldust. So back in the ring, Taker continues with right hands and chokes in a corner, which causes the ref to break it up, allowing Goldust to attempt to remove the turnbuckle pad. Undertaker with turnbuckle smashes, forearms across the back, clotheslines, and leg drops, before the Golden One would rake the eyes and whip the dead man to a corner. But Taker just responds with a choke toss, old school, and a body slam, only to then miss an elbow drop. Goldust would clothesline Undertaker out to the floor, only for him to land on his feet and drag the Golden One out as well, where they trade strikes once more, until coming back to the apron when the dead man would hotshot Goldust across the top rope. Now the Golden One would crawl to a corner and he would finally get the padding removed from that turnbuckle before reversing a whip to send Taker into the exposed steel. 
Goldust would continue with stomps and falling fists before tossing the Undertaker out to the floor, where the Golden One would grab the steps and drop them onto the dead man. I feel like they're miking the uh, like steps now because the slam sounds so intense. Back in the ring, Goldust continues to work the back with holds until Taker can fire up with right hands and a big boot. He goes for a tombstone, but the Golden One attempts to escape. So Undertaker just counters into a small package for a two count. The dead man then nails a jumping clothesline, delivers the tombstone, making the cover, only for mankind to break through the mat, lock on the mandible claw, and drag Taker under the ring for the disqualification. I mean, you know. How did he get under the ring? We crawled up from the boiler room. We saw him run away. <laughs> Post-match, smoke bellows up from the hole in the ring as Foley climbs out, and the lights would begin to flicker. Mankind would gaze under the ring, but he doesn't see the Undertaker, only for him to emerge from another opening in the mat behind Foley. <laughs> and the two men would then brawl to the back. Uh, he got under the ring during the Undertaker's uh, entrance, guys, when the lights go out. I'm sure that's probably uh, it. <laughs> just, you know, just letting them know. Just letting the announcers know 30 years later. Vincent sends us to a commercial for SummerSlam, and we get superstars competing in Olympic sports, such as Ahmed Johnson barreling through some hurdles, Austin chucking a shot put that nails the torchbearer, <laughs> lighting him on fire. Pretty funny stuff. Followed by Shawn Michaels doing a high jump. All checks out. Vader, Triple H, and Goldust are on the metal podium when the Golden One would smack Hunter's ass, causing a brawl to break out. (laughs) Doctor Strange loved himself. We then come back to our commentators discussing the main event when a fan would place a Burger King crown on Lawler's head, so he calls for security. And then everyone is interrupted by footage of Mankind and the Dead Man brawling in a boiler room, knocking out the cameraman in the melee, so all we really see is a black screen. I mean, why, yeah, why don't, don't give him everything, give him a treat. Imagination goes a long way. JR then sends us to a recap of our main feud, where we see the attack from the end of King of the Ring where Camp Cornette would attack the Heartbreak Kid, bringing Ahmed and Ultimate Warrior out for help. Gorilla Monsoon would then suspend Warrior for failure to appear on house shows, which is technically part of the reason he was fired, followed by Camp Cornette attacking Ultimate Warrior on an episode of Superstars, knocking him out. Jim then learns of Warrior's replacement, Psycho Sid. Oh, no. With the best reaction. Yeah. I mean, who does it better? Before we see footage of Sid crashing his car to save his partners from an ambush in the back on Raw. The most selfless thing Psycho Sid has ever done. Doc Hendrick is then with the People's Posse, with Sean comparing his crew to the Three Musketeers. Followed by saying Camp Cornette brought a knife to this gunfight. Ahmed mumbles and shouts, so I couldn't really understand him, but I think he says, 
talk it the way he walks it. Ah, okay. Which is completely backwards. Before Psycho Sid tries to explain what Johnson meant, saying that six men enter, but only three will survive. And I was like, this is not Survivor Series. Yeah, that's totally what he meant. He's talking murder. This man's got a knife. <laughs> Sid then calls Michaels and Ahmed his friends. Aww. Followed by the heartbreak kid saying he wouldn't want to be Camp Cornette. Because what you gonna do when Master Sid gets a hold of you and Ahmed Johnson beats you around? What you gonna do, brother? Fun little dig. So we go to our fifth match. The People's Posse of the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, and Psycho Sid with Jose Lothario versus Camp Cornette of Vader, British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, and Owen Hart with Jim Cornette. So as Heartbreak Kid makes his way to the ring, fans rush the guardrail and knock it over. While when Sid enters, the commentators speculate if Sean can trust him. Hmm, interesting. Ross also communicates to us that the Mounties had intervened in the brawl between Taker and Foley and had removed them from the building. Win in Canada. Invader demands Sean to start, where the two trade strikes, which isn't good for Michaels, but he responds with a hurricanrana, a leaping clothesline, and a crossbody that sends them both to the floor, followed by the heartbreak kid jumping back in the ring to deliver a baseball slide and a slingshot plancha out onto the mastodon. JR says that Sean Michaels has guts and... Uh... Jerry Lawler, of course, says, I've seen more guts on a skeleton, which is fun because Jerry Lawler does the same thing Heenan does where he puts a little bit of truth behind the digs, but you don't really know it at the time. Uh, yeah, like with his Jake stuff. Sean then tries for a double axe handle off the apron, only for Vader to avoid sending Michaels into the guardrail. Back in the ring, the Mastodon with stiff shots in the corner, and he goes for a back suplex, only for Heartbreak Kid to float out and make the tag to sit. He comes in with multiple clotheslines for everyone, sending them out to the floor. Now, Owen makes the mistake of trying to attack from behind, which just infuriates Psycho Sid, so he nails another clothesline before bringing in Ahmed to hit several German suplexes. And there's a big pop. People like Ahmed, people were stoked about Sid, and Sid's haymakers uh, looked pretty great. But Ahmed misses a leaping elbow drop, allowing Hart to tag the Bulldog to beat on Johnson momentarily. And Davy Boy gets his whip reversed, so Ahmed catches him with a spine buster and a Pearl River plunge Ooh. for the pin, and no, Vader makes the save. Yeah, lucky. That'd be a, that would have been a quick six-man match. Yeah, I mean, but I feel like people got a little excited because you put over the finisher and you've been putting over Ahmed Johnson. The Mastodon and Abed trade right hands until Vader hits an avalanche splash in the corner, nails more stiff shots, and tries for another avalanche splash, only for Johnson to catch him and drop him with a power slam for a two-count. I mean, slamming Vader isn't nothing. Owen makes his way back in with a spinning heel kick to Ahmed, but he's taken down by a press slam, allowing Sid to come back with a big boot and right hands to heart. Now Psycho Sid tosses Owen to his own corner with a whip, 
allowing Bulldog to tag in, who delivers a stalling vertical suplex, followed by the Mastodon running in with an elbow drop on Sid for a near fall. Vader and Davy Boy continue with double-team headbutts, and the Mastodon hits an avalanche press. Bulldog with headbutts and right hands that just seem to wake Psycho Sid up, where he nails a big right hand of his own before tagging in the Heartbreak Kid, who flies in with a double axe handle for a two-count. We get a turnbuckle smash and a whip to a corner before charging in, but Davy Boy moves, sending Sean shoulder-first, into the ring post. I mean, like I said, I think they're micing these corners of the ring because that post sounds brutal. And Bulldog tries to take advantage, but Michaels reverses a whip, sending Bulldog to the ropes, right into Vader, who goes flying off into the guardrail, while Davy Boy falls down, allowing the Heartbreak Kid to make a cover, only for Owen to try to break it up with an elbow drop, which Sean moves in time, so Harp nails the Bulldog instead. I mean, fun fun stuff. Michael tosses Owen out of the ring, but Hart makes it back to the apron in time for Davy Boy to make a tag, only for the Heartbreak Kid to bring him in with a slingshot. Now, Sean telegraphs a back body drop, so Hart goes for a small package, which leads to the two men rolling around the ring, only for Owen to finally get a near fall. That that lucha rolling, uh, rolling pin attempts. Hart hits a crossbody, but the momentum leads to Michaels being on top for a two-count, followed by another victory roll for a near-fall, before Owens rolls back on top for a two-count as well. Hey, why can't we get a singles match between these guys? The two men then go through some mat wrestling with bridging out of pen attempts until Hart nails a clothesline, and Bulldog returns to deliver a back body drop, a leg drop, and a power slam for a near-fall. He goes for an elbow drop, only for the Heartbreak Kid to avoid. I mean, we just can't be jumping on top of Shawn Michaels when he's on the mat. He obviously, you know, has like the senses of uh, Matt Murdock, Daredevil. He just ne- <laughs> all never takes it. Shawn starts running the ropes, only for Owen to clock him in the back with his cast, allowing Davy Boy to hit a clothesline and tag in the Mastodon. And Michaels is whipped to the corner, causing him to do his flare flip to the floor before being rolled back in for a short-arm clothesline and a modified chicken wing by Vader. Got him trapped. Now a fan all of a sudden decides to try and jump in the ring, Uh-oh. only for Bulldog and Ahmed to chase him off. Those are definitely two guys I would not want him coming after me. Absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't fight the skeleton of Davy Boy Smith. <laughs> like, I you are going to say the skeleton of Shawn Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> wouldn't fight Shawn Michaels today, even with, even with his lazy eye and cowboy hat. <laughs> the Heartbreak Kid would attempt to fire up, but an avalanche press and a splash stops that. When Johnson would come in with a clothesline to lay out the Mastodon. And Sean would start crawling to his corner, but Davy Boy's tagged in to keep him from tagging, allowing Camp Cornette to continue working over Michaels with a Canadian backbreaker and a Samoan drop. Bulldog then charges into a corner, only for the Heartbreak Kid to move, causing Davy Boy to hit his head on the turnbuckles. But he's able to bring in Owen to stop the posse tag once more. Heck, nabbit. Doing a great job of cutting, uh, cutting off the Heartbreak Kid. Mm-hmm. This is... Uh... This is important. Hart and Sean then hit heads for a double KO before Bulldog comes back for a running power slam to Sean. He makes the cover 
only for Sid to jump in the ring with a leg drop to break up the pin. Michaels makes the crawl to his corner, but a distraction by Cornette means the ref doesn't see a tag. So while Hebner works to get Johnson back out of the ring, Camp Cornette triple teams the heartbreak kid for a two count. And this was an incredible hot tag that the ref not seeing it and it being completely done perfectly visually adds to when the hot tag happens. I mean, you know that that first match and this match have so much, like, cornette in them that it's like, oh, well, it's just technically, it's technically correct. Unfortunately, the first match, nobody's over, and in this match, everybody's over. So, yeah, here you get the response that... That it deserves, that it should get, yeah. but you can't just do it with like Joe, Jack, and Jim. You need uh, real people. Bar Billy skipping up. Yes, <laughs> Sonny's a, uh, you know, her own monster. Yes. Davy Boy is holding Sean for Owen to fly in off the top rope, but Michaels moves, causing Bulldog to take the missile drop kick, allowing the Heartbreak Kid to make the crawl for the hot tag. Psycho Sid cleans house with choke slams to everybody, followed by teaming up with Ahmed for a double team clothesline to Vader, and then rocket launching Sean onto him for the pin. And no, no Davy Boy makes the save. I mean, oh, what a great spot. Sid in, ducks the clothesline, lays everybody out. It's what a hot tag should always be. Power, yeah. You know, duck a move and then power moves into a hot spot and it's done incredibly well here Ahmed starts brawling with Bulldog on the floor when Hart would leap off the apron with a double axe handle only for Sid to join the fray while Michaels has grabbed hold of Corny inside the ring and Jim has tossed the Mastodon his racket to use but the heartbreak kid turns in time to knock it away before grabbing the tennis racket himself to use over the head of Vader making the cover for the pin, and no, the Mastodon kicks out. And it's time to tune up the band. Only for Cornette to grab his boot, allowing Vader to nail an avalanche splash in the corner, followed by a Vader bomb for the pin, and And the win. Post-match, as Camp Cornette celebrates in the ring, Johnson and Psycho Sid attack with Sid powerbombing Davy Boy and Owen. Psycho Sid then tries one on the Mastodon, but Camp Cornette is able to pull him out of the ring, where Michaels leaps over the ropes with a Tope Conheo on to Vader, before throwing fists that sends Camp Cornette retreating to the back. The People's Posse then pose in the ring, with the Heartbreak Kid selling the ribs from the Vader bomb. I love that the heels win and are still chasing the back. It's it's just like the obvious thing to do. Because this has not been a heel territory or, you know, a heel company for extremely... for Yeah, basically it's never been a heel territory. So uh, you can't rub it in their faces. Yeah. We go to the back, and Doc Hendricks is there with President Gorilla Monsoon for an in-your-house extra. 
and Gorilla says that mankind and the Undertaker are out of control. So he's putting them in a boiler room brawl at SummerSlam. So funny too that like they kind of like initiate the boiler room and then are like, oh, and now that the show is over, we will see another fight in the boiler room. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna start there next time. Because I don't think the has there been the boiler. I guess they may have done the boiler room. No, this will be the yet. first one. So this is pre George the Rat. George the Rat. Oh, uh, the famous um, boiler room promo with mankind. He has a pet rat, and oh, yeah, uh, that's before that. The rat is actually Jim Cornette's pet rat. Because like, oh, what would be in a boiler room? And the pet rat's name was uh, George. Okay. And he produced the sec- the, the vignette. So the Mastodon and Corny interrupt with Jim demanding a title shot for Vader, but doesn't let Monsoon answer, just saying that the prophecy is coming true, and that Camp Cornette won, and he couldn't be happier. And. Not poor. Yeah. I mean, uh, I couldn't be happier either. I really didn't <laughs> think that it would happen. I'd be happy if I didn't lose 7 to $10 million. Yeah, absolutely. We then go to a highlight reel from the evening before fading to black. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of In Your House 9 International Incident? Didn't think a pay-per-view, even if it's a In Your House that leads or where the main event is a six man could be a good thing but this match was fucking hot as hell crowd super into it everybody in the ring was over that night Ahmed Johnson probably not getting that kind of big like he's probably on the B house shows and his people are not hanging on everything that he does. But here, with this group of people, and the match laid out the way it is, everybody hung on every move in the match, which is impressive for a six-man match. And there was a lot of great spots, but they didn't overdo the physical stuff. And everybody took the time to like register what was happening and milk it for what it was. And it's a great three people to have against each other because everybody's like, you know, has a like foil in like size and ability. Davy Boy, Ahmed, Vader, Sid, Owen, Sean. It's like those one of those singles matches is great. The other single matches that aren't Owen and Sean could be good or could be great. But they're not guaranteed. But here, where everybody's playing off of each other, you can really get a better result. Yeah. See? And the heels should have won, and they did. And Um, Sean took the pin, which is awesome. And he took a pin in Canada. Yep. Something for the Canadians after he beat the... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got another another thing to say, but... I'll save it for the next next, uh, question. Go ahead. Um, uh, kind of along the same lines. Maybe not so many words, but yeah. Good show. Better than expected it to be. They had some storyline movement. They you know, carried on from what we saw on their last show with the whole Stone Cold and... Marrow. That's yeah. his name. And that like, was not Johnny. That was an accident that they capitalized on. And Absolutely. I recognized the spot, 
the crowd recognized the spot and it like meant something and they didn't have to say anything it was just like oh and as we're talking about mark marrow and stone cold steve austin two people that are established talent from another company that are essentially they're still new here Mm -hmm. and people are into it and stone cold does things and gets a smattering of cheers and boos and mark marrow does things and gets a smattering of cheers and boos which is incredibly interesting like nobody agrees on either guy which is super cool so i mean obviously stone cold is the more talented one but i mean my heart still my heart still people that are booing for stone cold and cheering for mirror are doing what they're supposed to be doing yes but stone cold is so undeniable exactly and marrow is great but he doesn't you know i think it's kind of like with uh like ddp is a great heel but he's not he doesn't have the like badass charisma that stone cold has where you're just like i want to be i want to hang out with that guy he's more hateable and stone cold is just yeah it's like yeah i would definitely want to drink a beer with that guy yeah and he's not even smashing beers in the in the ring yet i mean we're all on the same page uh literally other than like the i'm gonna say mediocre opening because like you said earlier it's a technically sound match i love the tag match but no one, no one cares about yes. any of the action that's happening in the ring. Which bums me out because, like, I, I think this is a better tag match than I see uh, on a regular basis. Be it in uh, any of the current three companies that I check in with. Like, yeah. I think that this is like incredible quality and psychology. It just stinks that they didn't take the time to get any of these people over. But everything else, I think, was super entertaining. And I'm going to say this is the most fun six-man tag that WWF has ever put on. Easily. Hands down. And everything on this show sets up SummerSlam, which is the next pay-per-view. I think the weakest link on this show is the Mankind-Henry O'Godwin match. And I don't know, you know, it would have been, the crowd would have been hotter if it was Jake. Yeah. But once Mankind pops out in the Undertaker match... That match doesn't matter. You don't think yeah. about it anymore, and it didn't overstay its welcome. And it had some like brutal spots. We all know I mean, it was a match to show. Over. It was a match to show mankind's vicious side a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Against a bigger opponent, it sets. It's a it's a setup match, and yeah. I think it would have probably been laid out basically the same with Jake, except there would have been like a DDT tease instead of a slop drop tease yeah. or whatever. Exactly, and it probably would have made mankind. A little bit more of a heel it would have pushed you know pushed the anger towards him more because people love jake it, mm-hmm. no matter where he goes and how long he falls out and comes back the ddt chant no matter where the show is persists it's kind of the same as you it's know pa- blessing and yeah. curse paul orndorff yes. in like the mid 80s was paula but he was also paula a couple of years ago in wcw like it just stuck just stuck around in everybody's mind nobody could forget it good where's the smart marks at all right fuck you i think it's time we smart it up so what are some of the best moments of this show that six-man tag is so good that six-man tag it's laid out perfectly it's yeah it's laid out perfectly absolutely perfectly and like 
Nobody has any missteps. Everybody's comfortable because they have people that have been around. Like Ahmed Johnson is the guy that's wrestled the least. Sid is the least talented, but he's been around for a long time. And then you have Owen, Davy Boy, Vader, Cornette, who obviously is a huge part of this, Shawn Michaels, and um, it's like, yeah, nobody gets lost at all. It's just fucking, it's like clockwork. Really incredible stuff. And also, uh, Goldust's heel work, very good. This is, like, his match with The Undertaker is the good version of the way he acted with Ultimate I do, Warrior. Recently. I do feel like Goldust has started doing more of the Memphis style of heel, where he just he has. He stalls. It is. Probably a little too much. Yes. A little too much, but... I mean, it's, it, it works. It works character-wise, but it does. It can be tiresome. Yeah. But I feel like it was a little less tiresome here because it's the Undertaker who's, like, scary. Yeah. Uh, and the Ultimate Warrior should be scary, but at this point, the Ultimate Warrior coming back, like, nobody really gave a shit anymore. Ultimate Warrior was scary? I mean, he's huge. I mean, he's he's much he's much bigger man. I mean, I'd be scared to take a clothesline from him because the dude doesn't know how to work. But... Yeah, yeah, because you might he might collapse your trachea. <laughs> the uh, Pillman hotline. Yeah, that was a fun there. moment. Yeah, it, it was great. Yeah, I like the money back guarantee because, yes. like, literally, I'm sitting there. I'm just like, okay, you're just. You're playing us, and then, like... They pull it out. And then I, like, in my head, I'm just like, oh, well, they'll get out of it somehow. Not everything that they'll get out of it, because the heels are going to win. Yeah, and also, Sean took the pin. Mm-hmm. They didn't pin Ahmed Johnson, and they didn't pin Sid. And like I said, it perfectly it sets, perfectly up, done. sets like, up the next Sean, pay-per-view. Sean doesn't lose anything from this pin either, because no. it's done perfectly. It's, I mean, you know, I try not to hate on... Hogan all the time. But this is like this is the kind of match that allows you that to stay Hogan could have taken a pin in at any of those times. And it would have made the game and it, bigger. And it just would have built up the heel more for that singles match. But he was just always, he'd always be just be like, I'm not taking the pin, brother. Yeah. Well they just built and, they built up a big guy for years and years and years, and then Hogan beat him in the same match every time. Be it fucking one man gang, be it fucking boss man, man, be it be it Vader, be it Vader, be it um, what's his goddamn name, King Kong Bundy, yeah, like it's like all these guys, Earthquake, Earthquake, and it's like you never thought that they would win because nobody really, they didn't actually, they were just large, they didn't actually do heel work and weren't asked to do heel work even. Nope. So Um, yeah, Michael's definitely. Taking the pin, chef's kiss. I mean, just absolutely WWF in general making the the pivots that they did when they had to suddenly replace Warrior and Jake and still put on an entertaining show that there is here we are talking about and enjoying yeah. ourselves twenty seven years later after it's happened. Yeah, like yeah. how how nobody brings up in your house nine, but I think in your house nine is absolutely like required. Watching. I mean, I. This might be up there for me, like one of the best WWF shows we've watched. It's so. I mean, WWF does a thing that 
I couldn't appreciate more where they do the intro and it's like under two minutes and then they go straight to the first match mm-hmm. every time. There's no talking in the ring. There's no like slow intros. There's not any hullabaloo. It's like, and now he's like, we just did our, we just previewed the matches and straight to the ring. And like that makes a huge difference because they only have two hours and it seems like these in your house shows, they really get the most out of the two hours they can at the moment. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that all the show, all the in your house shows are great, but they don't always have great things bubbling. And sometimes you just have to get through a thing to get to a next, the next thing. Forgetting about stuff should be on the viewer and not on the promotion. The promotion should still see it through and be working towards a thing that will be remembered as opposed to forgetting it and moving on. Because when they start to forget about things, then you forget to continue to watch. How about most disappointing? I guess Jake not being on the show, but it, like I said, it doesn't really matter. I mean, that's disappointing for life choices more than yeah. Yeah, just him not being on the uh, show. The other disappointment, of course, is that the guns have been start and stop for so long, so nobody cares. Sonny's hotter than the fucking surface of the sun, so she's over as hell. And then the body Donna's, like, they never, they kind of made their, technically... Once, once Sonny was gone from them, no one yeah. cared about them either. Yeah, and they didn't care. I don't Like, they're technically great wrestlers, but they're not great characters. I mean... And this is a character-based company. Chris Candido and Dr. Tom Pritchard, Incredible. Like, they're incredibly talented wrestlers. Dr. Tom Pritchard, probably the best, like, wrestling American wrestling trainer in recent history. <laughs> like, I mean, but he's, just yeah. absolutely no one gives a shit about him. No. Nope. I mean, I uh, love them dearly, but that's because zip. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> zip. I, skip I, and I, zip. I skip their matches <laughs> yeah. most days. Yeah. Uh, disappointing for me, they went back to the people coming out of the mat well this quickly. Because, like, literally Undertaker coming out during the Kevin Nash match was literally three months ago, mm-hmm. four months ago, something yeah. like that. But I feel and, like the Mankind... And they went and did it twice in the same show. The and, then, and then also, because of that, and since it wasn't the main event, like, this is, this is the kind of angle that you usually would run in the main event, because the time between the end of that match and the time the six-man match happens, it... Even though the recap stuff was yeah. was fine, but it just it, they had to change out the entire ring setup, canvas, yeah. canvas and everything. So it took it a little bit long. They probably like they probably could have given some of these matches a couple extra minutes in places. I'm not yeah. saying that any of them needed it, but I'm just saying, yeah, that, that is one of those things that's kind of like I get it, but. Did you need to do that angle to get to the brawl to the back into the boiler room? Well, I think you could have done it yeah. many different other ways. You probably could have. I did like it because it was almost surprising that they did it so quickly. And then also, you set up the boiler room or whatever, but Shawn Michaels taking the pin should be the last match. 
Oh, me? I yeah. to, no, I, I'm totally yeah. Just you're saying, saying the way that they did do it. The way they did it, that's the kind of thing that usually is the last minute because of the time it takes yeah. to reset the canvas. Yeah, yeah. That they don't ever put those kind of things at the beginning, during, in the middle of the show or anything. It's like when you had the old style of cage where, you know, the big blue... Thing, yeah, it took them, have to come took them 10 minutes up, to set the cage down. down. You know, putting that That's the, the reason why the they didn't do cage matches all the time. Now yeah. they just lower it and it could be done in like three seconds. And you're like, okay, cool. We'll just do 17 cage matches. Yeah, and, and we all know that the entrance are going to be longer than the match anyway. Yes. Think of... It's not a very Moves-wise disappointment. The only thing that stands out to me was... And it's just nitpicking, but Sid, when he did his little Hogan kicks before doing the power bombs on... Owen and Brett, or yeah. Owen and Brett, Owen and Bulldog, they were some of the weakest, I can barely lift my leg yeah. moments I've seen in a ring. But his haymakers were great. Yeah. I feel like this is some of the best suit we've seen in a long time because they used him really well. Mm-hmm. Honestly, biggest disappointment, we're in Canada and Bret Hart's not here. I uh, I was like, wait, Bret Hart's on the show, right? And I'm like, fuck, Bret Hart's not on this show. Not since Mania. And... Maybe he's injured. Maybe uh, he, he need to go away. So he's it's a big deal. He a new contract because he was about to be the third man. Uh, but the yeah, it's weird for him not to be here. Very bizarre. I got a couple more things. Hmm. Billy missing the leap over Bart oh, on the yeah. guillotine body press, which it, I was just like, what? What are you doing? Like you can't. You do this move all the time. Like yeah. how, how do we just missile swim? He partied too hard in Canada the night before. The Marlena Sable storyline. I can tell you guys right now, this is probably the last time we'll see anything about this storyline because Sable was very uncomfortable with it. Yeah. And so they kind Marlena of just, obviously they just kind of drop it. But I mean, I, so I don't even know if Goldust and Marrow become a feud at all. Because I think Could I be mean, that's feud. basically where they were headed towards. Yeah, I'd like to see that. The, um, yeah, those those two things, like... If they don't, then... Because the whole Marlena coming out during that match made no difference. And I, if I hadn't read up about the angle, her showing up just would have been like, huh? Like, what's, go- what's going on? Because even commentary really doesn't do a good job of selling that Marlena had been after Sable. Yeah, I think that the answer is, like, this is the beginning of something that somebody wouldn't agree to continue doing that yeah. being sable but also this is they're finally putting over hot chicks and sunny super over sable new and getting over uh, with all the help in the world from vince mcmahon and then uh you know marlena who you know has been around for a <laughs> long marlena. time and she's married to a road so they couldn't really push her but yeah <laughs> it's funny but uh i mean you know she's been around forever like we love, uh, yeah, we, uh, what is it called, the, uh, what's the thing where she did the computer? The, oh, Alexandra York. Yeah, the, the Alexandra Foundation. York, oh, York Foundation. Love the York Foundation. Yeah. What a fun gimmick. How about best performer of the night? That's tough. Hmm. I think it has to be Sean. I mean, he took the pin and he gave it his all. I mean, he, he. He was the. Uh, he was the hot tag. He was the Ricky. He was the Ricky Morton. Yeah, he was. He was the sexiest Ricky Morton on the planet. 
I, I mean, love Ricky Morton. With Psycho all my Sid heart. brought it though, so I, mean, so, I this think pro- this is probably is the, my favorite Psycho Sid match I've ever seen. Easily, he's he looks like he's happy to be wrestling, and he looks comfortable. And I think it has to do with all the people he's surrounded by, people that he knows, and people that he's worked with in the past, and been in the locker room with before, and like he knows, yeah, what to do. They told him what to do, and he did it incredibly well, the exception of the kicks. And you know he didn't have to take a pin. <laughs> How about most surprising? Oh, I thought that's what we just did. Uh, so, um, Sid not sucking. John Michaels taking the pin. I figured maybe they would pin uh, Owen. Ahmed is the Intercontinental Champion at the moment. Yeah. It would be weird to pin him here, but it would set up a feud or a singles match, but that's not typically how WWF does that. That's like a New Japan way of setting up a yeah. match. Here's one for you. There were no titles on this card. Is that true? Because they didn't put the tag titles yep. on the line. Yeah. And the IC and the heavyweight were in the six band. And that makes, that's proof. The proof is in the pudding. They didn't need any titles on mm-hmm. the line because they worked a good show with results. Diana Hart-Smith supposedly was at the show, and she was not showing on camera at all. Yeah, she didn't need to be a part of this. It would have been distracting, and I like Diana. uh, I couldn't think of anything surprising, so that was the first thing that popped into my head. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Because, yeah, I mean... Yeah, we can't be like, oh, it's so surprising that uh, I knew Warrior was leaving soon. I guess maybe I didn't remember that Sid came back already. Yeah, there's... Nothing too, too, too surprising on yeah, this one. Yeah, like the surprises are all like good surprises. Like they're all very um, like, oh, I wouldn't, uh, I didn't necessarily expect Sid to like ruin a match because, you know, there's too much good talent in there. But I also didn't expect him to be a uh, as good as he <laughs> was or as into it. It's like he, he obviously cared. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't, then he did an incredible acting job. But at this point, he kind of has to give it his all because uh, he's burned some bridges. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. What do we got this week? This week, the category is pay per feud. We're back and it's time to play the feud. So I will give you the matches from a show. You tell me the show. Points are determined by which match you get. So five points the first one. One point if we get to the final match. All right, so the shows are from 1993 to 1994. That's your options. So the first match I'm going to give you, Tatanka versus Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna Vachon for five points. Does anyone know what show that's from? can't say that I do. I assume this is before Tatanka, like after Tatanka has already taking, taken a pin. But you may continue. Mm. Uh, Shane? Yeah, he's better at this than I am. Okay, for four points, the Quebecers of Jacques and Pierre with Johnny Polo versus the Hart Brothers of Brett and Owen for the WWF Tag Team Championships. Damn, this feels like it was so long ago. <laughs> Shane. We're going to go for 
We are going for <laughs> Royal Rumble 1994. And four points for Shane. Oh my gosh. I was like, it can't be 94. It can't be 94. I would have had to have assumed it was 93. Whatever my guess would have been, it would have been in 1983. <laughs> Incredible memory. The other couple matches that still left were Erwin R. Scheister versus Razor Ramon for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. Featuring Marty Jannetty. Hit him with the dropkick, Marty Jannetty. And then, of course, the main event would have been the Royal Rumble match. And who won the Royal Rumble this year? Uh, 94 was... Was that the Brett Lex year? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, my guess would have been Brett or Sean, I guess. Sean's 95 and 96. Uh, Yeah. Yep. And don't even get me started on 97, 98. <laughs> Next week, we're headed back to Philly for The Doctor is In. Which doctor? The Call, doctor. Calling Dr. Love, Dr. Strange Love, Dr. Feelgood. Might be. Dr. Tom uh, Pritchard. Keep going. Dr. Isaac Yankum. No, not quite there. Uh, Dr. Death. Steve Williams. Oh, no. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be my favorite show, isn't it? Yeah. Plus, there's a stretcher match. A stretcher? A stretcher match. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, I think that I haven't seen the, like, good Dr. Death stuff, but I know Death and Gordy were huge <laughs> back in the day, and the stuff we covered never really impressed me. I don't know if we're ever going to see the good well, Dr. Not at, Death Not stuff. at this point, but, like, supposedly it was a thing where those guys were a thing. Yeah. did but... Body Donna's need, like, a flip or something like that? <laughs> uh, I guess there's still time. So music from this week's show is the opening from International Incident, and Vader made the pen, so we play his music, Mastodon, version 2, by Jim Johnston. Can you hear the Mastodon coming? I'm hearing like elephant noises in my head. <laughs> I don't know if that's close. Exactly. Yeah. I wasn't even going to attempt it. <laughs> if you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate, review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Spotify. Uh, can you rate on Spotify? Not. I don't I have know. no clue. Me neither. I use Spotify a lot, but I've, I keep my podcast separate. I've never used Spotify, but I guess maybe now that... I can be heard on Spotify. I should give Spotify a try. I mean, I'm a huge music fan, so <laughs> it feels pretty essential to me. But I keep my podcast separate because you can have like, you know, it's just a different different yeah. thing way of doing you it. Don't but, shit where you eat, huh? Yeah, don't <laughs> shit where I eat. Or wherever else you find your podcast at, do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Come on. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, people, we're going back to Philly. And Philly has become the bane of my existence when it comes to picking items. I mean, granted, they have gotten more fun and easier to come up with because I've stopped looking in the actual Philly area. But I love your um, just like, oh, a guy on the match. If you're guarantee there's probably a doctor, a doctor death, thing. death drink. Yeah, I will do nothing scary. to celebrate Doctor <laughs> Death until I know for sure it is the final time Doctor Death will be appearing on any shows. So that you we are have to be the brawl oh, for all. Well, <laughs> like, 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 still got a couple more years. Yeah, you got the, yeah. yeah, the brawl for all. But yeah, if you uh, 
live in Philly, have been to Philly, know somebody in Philly, know what they eat or drink or whatever in Philly. Yeah. Shoot me some ideas, because uh, I don't, yeah. don't want to make something Dr. Death yeah. related. If only Damon McDonald had a Twitter. Who? The host of my favorite wrestling podcast. Uh, and he's from Philadelphia. That being the Super Jake cast. Does he have a, an Instagram or anything? No, he knows social media. He social media. Oh, yeah. That he's guy. A, he's a fragile, a fragile man, but very Definitely is a Damon. Every once in a while he's in the Discord. <laughs> yeah. Very occasionally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But send us some ideas. We're going to Philly. As always, so yeah, tell me stuff. As always. And if you have any of those ideas, email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week. Laters. Oh, whoever it is. A much better elephant. <laughs> I got a little squeak.